morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Um, I was thinking as we were worshiping God together that I'm just really glad I'm a part of this church. Um, it's encouraging every Sunday to be here, um, the way we worship God. I don't mean the pattern, um, but I mean everyone invested. Um, not in the church, but invested in Christ. And that's what makes us a church. Um, so I, I appreciate it. I appreciate being here. I hope this short message doesn't detract from what we've done this morning. Uh, the important stuff is in the past. Uh, this is just the final little talk uh, at the end. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1, that's where we're going to start. Those of you who are members here and here all the time know that this is our, our final um, Sunday in our theme year. Our theme year begins in September and runs through the end of August each year. Uh, so this is also our final theme sermon uh, related directly to our, our theme, which is from Second Peter chapter 1. We've been talking in this past year about being partakers of the divine nature. God's role in that, uh, in the promises that he's made, our role in that, in the faith that we're supposed to have, the faith we're supposed to exercise, the faith we're supposed to add things to, as in Second Peter chapter 1. Um, and today, uh, the message is going to focus primarily on uh, verses 10 and 11 from the passage that we've been reading. Our passage has been Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And I'm not going to read, well, I, I will go ahead and read the entire thing. Um, I'll, st I'll start in verse 1. Um, it's the beginning of the letter, Second Peter chapter 1. I'll just read the first 11 verses. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. And as I said, our, our, uh, our message this morning is, is focused around those last two verses. Um, we've spent the year talking about these characteristics that we're supposed to add and supply. And I kind of like the translation that I read where as it's listing these things, it says, you know, in your faith supply 
moral excellence or virtue. And in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. That kind of gives the idea that, hey, while I'm engaged in moral excellence, I need to supply knowledge. Oh, and while I'm engaged in that knowledge, I need to be supplying self-control. So it kind of gives more of the idea that we've all talked about for the last year, which is you don't like check one of these off and say, I'm done and I'm going to move on to love now. Right? While you're engaging in each one, you're thinking about, okay, I need to be knowledgeable about what I'm doing. I need to have self-control in this thing that I'm doing regarding, you know, brotherly kindness or whatever. Um, but today, we're going to talk about the diligence of verse 10. Being diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. And we're going to talk about the entrance into the eternal kingdom that's described in verse 11. I, I find a paradox and I'm glad Kelly brought this word up, paradox, because I always thought a paradox was something that was unresolved, and it's not. A paradox is something that when you just hear it on the surface, it seems like it, it, they can't coincide. They can't work together. But in actuality and reality, they do, right? Um, and in this case, I think that's what we see in verses 10 and 11. Um, how can we be, and I quote, how can we, quote, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing by practicing these things? To me, that's a paradox. It seems like God's the one who needs to be diligent about his calling and his choosing, right? He's the one doing the calling and the choosing. He needs to be diligent about who he's calling and who he's choosing. No, that's not true. Verse 10 is a command for you. And me. Now, this is not a suggestion. This is not a, an academic kind of thing. This is Peter saying, Hey, Christians, you need to be diligent about what? His calling and choosing you. To me, that's a paradox. He's the one taking the action, and we're the ones who are supposed to be diligent. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. It, how can... The things that we do, right, if these, these things that we practice at the end of verse 10, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble, right? Look at verse 11. For in this way, what he's just talked about in verse 10, this way of practicing, right, this way of diligence and practice, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. To me, that's another paradox, it doesn't say I'm supplying the entrance. I'm passive in that. The entrance is supplied to me. I'm passive. I'm not active in that. What I am active in is practice and diligence. So how can the things that we do, right, that we practice, how can doing those things abundantly supply, right, entrance into the eternal kingdom? That's, to me, that's a paradox. God either abundantly supplies it or he doesn't. Because he's the one doing the supplying. Right? Peter does not say in this text, I'm supplying my own entrance into the kingdom at all. He rightfully says it's being supplied to me. We all know that God's, God is the one who gives entrance into the kingdom. I think this is a beautiful picture of how faith and grace works together. And I mean, Peter just crunched it down into two verses that if you read these verses thinking about how faith and grace works from what you know about the rest of the New Testament, and we're going to look at uh, just four other passages here. 
well, everything you know about the New Testament, about how faith is like commanded and it's active and it's dead if it doesn't have works. And you, 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 know, and you are saved by grace. It's not by works. It's not of yourself. It's a gift. And you put all that stuff together, you end up with exactly what Peter said here. The things you do matter. And by the things that you do, right, entrance into the kingdom is then supplied to you. It's not, you don't supply it yourself. To me, that's a beautiful picture of faith and grace. The first point I want to make, and I'm really, I, you could argue with me about this later. I think I'm only going to make two points. <laughs> if you think I make more, you can tell me, no, 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 that was ten points. I think I'm only going to make two points. The first point is that it's possible to make certain or it wouldn't be commanded. You're told to make certain. I mean you individually. I don't mean like as a church, as a group, we need to get together and make certain we're all saved. You are told to make certain, which means it can be done. And in fact, it's expected to be done if you're a Christian. It's expected. Make certain. The second point I want to I make is that that making certain thing that you're engaged in, I'm engaged in, we're engaged in, it requires diligence and practice. It's not some decision I make in my head and I'm done. Oh, okay, I made certain. No. And the reason I can say so confidently that's not it is because Peter says, right, in verse 10, Therefore, because of everything I've just said, Therefore, Christian, brethren, be all the more diligent. He's, he's saying you be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, meaning you can st- stop practicing them. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way entrance into the kingdom, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Um, it's always tricky to try to dance around, you know, faith and works and grace and all that stuff. But if we just stick to the text, it's going to be really easy. Because as soon as I get confused about how they work together, I just go back and read verses 10 and 11. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. He supplies. I'm diligent. Um, he calls. I practice. Right? That's, just, that's what the text says. And even that requires some faith and understanding because we have physical eyes, right? We're still growing and developing our spiritual eyes every day to see and understand this. It may not be easy, but it is true. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the first point. It's possible to make certain. It is 100% within our control whether or not he chooses us. That's in our control. If we're chosen, is within our control. And I'm not saying that because I have some special revelation that tells me that. I'm saying that because of verse 10. Brethren, be diligent about his calling and choosing you. Which means it's up to you. If it wasn't, there's no diligence on your part. 
You can sit there and twiddle your thumbs and worry about it and say, man, I really hope I'm chosen. That's not diligence. That's just, that's just worrying. Right? Diligence is when you have a task and you apply effort to it and you apply time to it and you sweat over it and you don't let it go. You grab a hold of it with both hands and you're diligent. You say, he has chosen me because it's up to me. And how do I know that? Peter told me to be diligent. Now, I haven't gotten into all the details of that, right? I'm just talking about that simple little phrase. Be diligent about his choosing you. The easy explanation is of what, that, what does that look like is you look at the past six, seven verses prior to that because verse 10 starts with a therefore, right? Add to your faith all of these things. You grab onto that activity with both hands. And you can say, as you're adding these things to your faith, I am being diligent about him choosing me. I'm making certain because Peter says that's how I do it. Now, this isn't taking some kind of control. You're not wresting control from God and saying, yeah, God wants to you know, put me in hell or he wants to condemn me, but I'm not going to let him. I'm going to wrest control. Well, you know he doesn't want to put anyone in hell. What, is, what does Peter himself tell us? God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, so if we start with that premise... What really happens is he has voluntarily handed you control because he wants you to have control. When Jesus died on the cross, he gifted the power to take your eternal destiny into your hands. You didn't, you didn't take it from God because you deserve it. I'm such a good person. God owes me heaven. And yeah, I kind of knew it all along since, you know, whatever. Because I'm, I'm better than all these people around me. And, well, most of them. You know, whatever. You know, fill in the blank. Whatever you might think in your head. Or you've heard some people say as a charge against right, Christianity. What God has done is he said, I don't want you, individually, you. I don't want you to be destroyed. And I've given you control over that. Now, I want to choose you. I'm speaking right still in the God perspective. I want to choose you. You need to be diligent about me doing that. I want to call you to me. You be diligent about me doing that. You be diligent about hearing that call. You be diligent about being the type of soul that I'm going to choose. And it's not a mystery. He's not, he's not saying, I've given you control and so you go roll the dice. He didn't give you some pair of dice and say, now if you roll snake eyes, that's bad news. Right? I mean, some people think of salvation that way. You know, I just don't know if I'm going to heaven. Well, this says it's your job to know. Now, I, it's not, no one else around you can say you are or not. They can be confident about it. They can have hope, right? In conversations, you can you know, build each, up each, one another's hope. But no one around you can know, but you can know. And what I read here is you should know. You're, you're, you're kind of supposed to know. 
Now, that doesn't mean like you've got some kind of arrogance that says, yeah, well, all those people who doubt their salvation, I'm better than them because I know. No, that's, that's not what this is about. This is about you humbling yourself before God and saying, I am being diligent to do what he's told me to practice so that I will be certain he's going to choose me. It has nothing to do with anyone else around you. This is you. So if other people around you are arrogant, saying that they're saved because they're such good people, tune it out. This is about you. If other people around you are constantly saying, well, I don't know if I'm going to be saved and I hope I'm going to be saved, and they're always expressing doubt about their own salvation, tune it out. This is not about them. This is about you. You are to make certain about your salvation. Look at, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 40. I spent a lot of time on these two verses, 10 and 11, because the more you read over them, I mean, they're, they're dense and they're kind of complex and complicated, right? But really, there's other passages that, that show the same thing. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. This is at the end. This is after, um, you know, Peter's first sermon there um, on the day of Pentecost and the, the, the Jews standing around said, what are we supposed to do? And he's like, you're supposed to repent. You're supposed to change. And you're supposed to be baptized to receive forgiveness. right? And then he, it says in verse 40, And with many other words, he, Peter, solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Well, if it's not in your control, this is a silly command. It's ridiculous. If you're just rolling dice, really what he should have, should have said is, you know, be diligent to roll those dice as many times as you can. He actually commanded them to be saved. And we know salvation is a gift from God. It's a command to be saved. Because that's what God wants for you. Like it's his his heart's desire. Is you in, as an, you individually. I mean, we can talk about God so loving the world, and, it, and it's very handy because then it puts the emotional thing far away from us. It kind of, you know, makes me feel like I'm part of a bigger whole and I'm protected by the people who sit in front of me, right? Well, really, you know, he's he's telling these individuals, you be saved. You be saved, which means it's in their control. Even see, I even use the plural. It's in my control. It is in your control. Whether you're saved or not. Not because you're wresting it from God, but because he has made it available to every individual. And now, because it's available, commands. Be saved. Look in John chapter 1. This is the, this is the last verse we'll look at about the um, making certain uh, portion John chapter 1, verse 12. Speaking of Jesus, right? But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, 
even to those who believe in his name. I've always liked this verse because whenever people want to talk about their rights, I'm like, this is the right you have. You know, don't talk, talk to me about any of your other rights. Those are gifted by governments or by your boss or and they can be taken away. This is the right God has given you. If you believe, right? As many as received him. So first, you know, they heard what Jesus had to say and they're like, yeah, he's from God. He's speaking from God. He's telling me things that I need to know for eternal, right? Glory or eternal life or whatever. I, I accept it. I receive him. Now, what does that mean? It means he gave them the right, gave me the right to become a child of God, even to those who believe in his name. It's my right. How powerful is that? I mean, I, that term, I think, is misused a lot in our society because people use it as a bludgeon, right? My right means I can crack you over the skull with my rights. You know, you don't mean anything to me. Well, that's not, he's not talking about that here. He's not saying you, have, you now have a weapon against God somehow. God's like, I want children. And Jesus' death, God gives that right to people who believe and trust in it. Like, it's that powerful. It's, I have a right to be a child of God, not because of me, but because of him. It's a gift. He gifted it to me. But you've got to exercise your rights. Right? I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not speaking in a social context, a political context. Any, I'm saying if you've been given the right, it doesn't mean anything if you don't exercise the right. But to think of it in a hopeful manner, if we believe Jesus is who he said he is, and I mean, like, you know if you believe that or not. Because you're willing to act on it. You're willing to do anything because of that. Right? You know. If you know that and you believe that, you have the right to be a child of God. So grab a hold of it. Exercise that right. Be the child of God. It's 100% in your court because God has made it that way. Not because you've stolen some power from Him or... He's too weak to really say no. He's like, he's like begging. Hey, come. I've sacrificed my son for you. Come to the wedding feast. All right. Second point. It requires diligence and practice. Let's turn, um, let's turn back to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Just momentarily diligence um, you could argue it requires two parts diligence and one part practice because he mentions diligence twice look in verse 5 <clears throat> with all diligence right I sang a little too much this morning my voice is starting to crack now for this very reason Second Peter chapter 1 verse 5 now for this very reason also applying all diligence and we did talk about this. We didn't skip over it. It's just it was really early in the year. Applying all diligence, right? Do all of these things. And then verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. 
Um, when the Holy Spirit repeats things in such short order, I think we, we do well to pay attention, not just from like some kind of grammatical perspective or academic perspective, but to say, am I being diligent or am I just kind of coasting and what comes easy, that's what I engage in. That's the trap I fall into. I mean, look at all of these things. I don't like self-control. I just don't like it. I'd rather not, to be frank. I don't like brotherly kindness. I mean, you guys are great, but, you know, I just don't want to be nice to you. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm speaking from the flesh, okay? I'm speaking from the flesh. If the flesh has its say, it looks at this list and says, man, don't want to do this. Maybe I like knowledge because it, it puffs me up, right? So I'll just, I'll just go after knowledge, full bore, and I'll, I'll, that'll make me godly. Right? We have to be diligent about these things, which means it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. Like the first time you try to show brotherly kindness, you're just going to stumble over your words and trip over yourself and people are going to think you're being weird. They're like, you've never been nice to me before. And then the second time you do it, they're like, yeah, okay. This is going to be a pattern for Richard. Good. Right? Self-control is going to drive you out of your skull, man. When you first identify that thing that you've got to get out of your life, I don't mean the very first thing. I mean when you first realize that there's something in your life that has to go completely. That moment. And you, you, you turn on self-control and you're like focused on it and you're like, I got to, it's going to drive you out of your skull. You're going to think about it all the time. You're going to think about it all the time. And you're not going to want to talk to anybody else about it. You're going to be like, I, can, I got this. Or maybe I'm supposed to have this by myself. Whatever your reason is, right? Self-control is going to be hard. You're going to need to talk to people. You're going to need to tell people what you're trying to control. I mean, it's self-control, but it doesn't, it's not done alone, right? You're responsible. That's why it's self-control, but it's not done alone. I mean, all of these things, right? That's my point. I'm not trying to preach a sermon on every one of these aspects. My point is diligence isn't a fun thing. But you get good, well, you get better at it as you exercise it along with these other things. I'm not going to say you ever get good at diligence, but if you've ever been diligent about anything, right, think about how you were diligent, even in a worldly thing, right? Like your job, school, right? If you were diligent for four years, you were like, hey, you know what? I was diligent about a lot of stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to tap into that attitude and I'm going to apply it to this, right? Just do it, right? Identify those things and be diligent. So the, the passage that we read... 
this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's turn over there. <clears throat> we're not gonna, again, we're not going to read this, this whole passage because it was already read. Um, for me, this is a really powerful passage because these are people um, that God saved. Right? He rescued. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says that when they walked on dry land, you know, through the, the waters and under the cloud, they were baptized into Moses, right? So there's all of this imagery of slavery in Egypt is sin, right? For this, them, it was slavery. For us, it's sin. For them, they, they were rescued with all this power. They had no, no ability to rescue themselves, and they were baptized through into Moses through walking through the water, right? We're rescued. Jesus died for our sins. We're powerless to escape our sins on our own. Jesus dies to pay for them. We're baptized, right? We're saved. What happened to these people after they were baptized? It's not a pleasant thing to think about. How many people died in the wilderness? Not because, like, they fell off a cliff or something. God struck them down. He targeted people and said, you die. And they died. After he had rescued them. Why? What's the point? Look in, look in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. This is the last, the last verse of that passage. Let us be diligent to enter that rest, the rest that God has promised, right? So that none, no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. That's why they fell. It was disobedience. They weren't diligent, right? I mean, he uses those two words together. Let us, so make it personal, you be diligent, right, to enter the rest so that you will not fall through following the same example of disobedience. Don't accept the promises of God and the rescue of God and the, all, all the benefits and get on the other side of this baptism into Jesus and then be, make yourself an object of wrath and destruction for God. That's what he's saying here. If you follow their example, you're going to be the same thing. You're going to be on the other side of this, this saving activity that God has engaged in, and you're going to make yourself an object of destruction that he's going to strike you down in the wilderness. Perhaps using you as an example for those around you, just like he used them as an example for us. I can think of people who have, who have become this. I, I know, I can, I, they're in my head right now. I know their names. I see their faces. They're alive today as far as I know. They have made themselves this spiritually. They've come through and accepted the salvation God has offered. They've been baptized into Jesus as these were baptized into Moses. And they made themselves an object of God's wrath through disobedience. So going back to point one, it's in your control, obviously. But point two is 
be diligent that that doesn't happen to you because it is in your control. You can't sit back and say, well, man, I really hope God's not mad at me today. And I'm just going to hope. Well, for one, that's not diligent. So you're kind of walking down the opposite road anyway already. But two, you need to buckle down and say, I'm not going to be an object of that wrath because he's given me an example. One, of what happens, and two, of which way to go. We need to be diligent and not just take on the things that come easy to us and go after this pattern he's, he's given to us. In Jesus, ultimately, but even in words. We read these words and we see where we fall short. Go after it. Be diligent. One more verse. Uh, and it's also in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. <clears throat> also verse 11. Two, two chapters later. Hebrews 6, verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. This is another one of those verses for me. It's grace and faith connected, can't be separated. Be diligent so that you can have hope. I mean, that hope comes from God. You have no reason to hope unless Jesus is crucified. If Jesus isn't sacrificed, there is no hope. In fact, if he's not raised, there's no hope, right? I mean, that's really what, if you read the New Testament letters, hope is surrounding the resurrection. That's what gives you hope. Everything he said was true. If Jesus had just died and you didn't know about the resurrection, well, where's your hope? A good man died. Maybe you can hope in that. But real hope is that that good man was actually God. Because he was raised having gone to the grave saying he was God. That's hope. Okay, well you don't, you don't play a role in doing any of that, right? God did all of that. But verse 11, Hebrews chapter 6. Each one of you Show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope. Right? Your diligence is involved in how comfortable you are in your hope, I guess. Right? How assured you are in your hope will reflect the diligence, right? The diligence you have to make it yours. That's what he's saying. I mean, he, actually, he's not teaching that. He's saying, this is what I want for you. The fact that he's teaching it is almost a side point. We desire this for you. And those are my two points. Your calling and election, your calling and choosing, however your translation states it in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 10. The control of that has been handed over to you. And you have been commanded to make certain through diligence. And it will take diligence and practice. Practice the things that you see Jesus doing. Practice the things that you see written to Christians here. 
practice it. You know, just do it. Tomorrow, today, this afternoon, find one of these things that you can do and, and do it. Practice it today. You're not doing the calling. You're not doing the choosing. You're not the king. The kingdom isn't yours. He's the king. He's doing the calling. He's doing the choosing. I want to make that crystal clear. But he's told you to diligently practice these things to ensure that he's called and chosen you and abundantly supplied to you entrance into the kingdom. Your understanding of how or why he does it this way or your lack of that understanding shouldn't distract you from the fact that it's true. I don't understand how all this is happening, what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm, I just don't, I don't get it. But I know that if I practice these things, entrance into the kingdom will be abundantly supplied. To me, the picture of abundantly supplied is when Jesus tells that, that gives that picture of the wide way that leads to destruction and the narrow way and the narrow gate that leads to salvation. It's like the more I practice these things, the wider that way to salvation gets for me. To such a point that I, like if I... I'm going to trip over the, I'm going to trip into the door. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if I tripped, I would fall into salvation because I've practiced these things so much. Not because I'm such a good person, but because he, through my practice, has widened and widened and widened and widened and widened until it's like, well, I can't miss it now, right? And that's really what he's saying in 2 Peter chapter 1. You can be certain. You need to make certain. If you've never been cleansed, the, the things that I've talked about, they don't really have any eternal value. And what I mean by that is you can be a great person today and it will make your life better if you're self-controlled and if you're patient. And you know, if you take on these kind of characteristics in your life, you know, that's great. People around you might appreciate it. But that doesn't save you. If you haven't been cleansed, that doesn't save you. This letter was written to people who had already been cleansed of their sins. And what they're supposed to do now that they've been cleansed. This isn't a way to be cleansed. We haven't even talked about that. We haven't addressed it. Now I'm not going to preach a sermon on that. So, if you are unsure about your standing before God, whether you have been cleansed, whether you think you've been cleansed, whether you know you haven't been cleansed, whatever, if you're uncertain of it, don't leave here uncertain today. not, I mean, just don't do it. Like, tell someone, tell me, tell someone here, I'm not certain. And you, you may, we may not resolve that issue in five, ten minutes, but don't leave here without telling somebody that. That's an important conversation you need to have. If you want to have that conversation, speak with me, speak with someone else here. We're going to sing a song right now. You can come, you know, tug on my, my elbow here during the song. Come up. I'll be standing right over here. After the song, talk to Blake, talk to Robin, talk to Kelly, talk to me. Um, come up and say, hey, I'm just not certain. And we'll have that discussion. Blake's going to lead us in a song so as we stand and sing.